Hello everyone! Welcome back to Haunted 518. Today I am drinking Southern Tier Brewing Company and they have a limited edition uh, Imperial Ale and the flavor is Frosted Sugar Cookie. I found it in uh, bottles uh, for Thanksgiving and I found it in cans. I drank all of it uh, and I found it in cans locally and it is freaking delicious. Um, it is 8.6% alcohol. Um, so one of these, two of these, three of these, you feel great. <laughs> um, and I thought it was the perfect way to kind of kick off. It snowed for the first time yesterday in my area, in the capital region area. So I thought it was a good way to kick off the, the winter season now post Thanksgiving. Um, the description of it is rather enticing. It says, gather around the fire with all of your closest friends and cozy up to this delicious spectacle of pure sweetness that is sure to sprinkle your wintry days with joy. You won't believe it's beer and not a tin full of iced confections. Our frosted sugar cookie ale is full of soft and airy vanilla and cake notes iced to perfection happy holidays from ours to yours um and yeah it's pretty much exactly what they described it's not too sweet it's delicious it goes down really nicely so cheers to the winter season starting and a delicious beverage to go along with that so today we're going to be talking about a very very large section of um of the northwestern area of the Adirondacks. Now, only two of the seven towns we're going to go into are actually in the 518, and we're going to start with Malone, which is in the 518. But all of these towns had something to say, but generally only one, maybe two things. So I figured instead of doing separate uh, episodes about, especially about non-518, I figured we'd just do a little loop in that northwest area, starting in Malone, and cover Malone, Fort Covington, Cornwall, Messina, Ogdensburg, Canton, and then Potsdam. Um, because I figured that, that would be a nice way to kind of round it out. I mean, you could drive that whole area in probably less than like two hours I would think so they're close enough and um, some of it was really interesting so I thought it would be fun to uh, to talk about so yeah let's like I said let's get started we're gonna delve right into Malone and Malone is the the main town and the biggest town in the 518 on this list um, we're going to be talking about uh, Cook's Corners in particular in Malone. And uh, this is actually from an article directly from the Malone Telegram. And this says it's entitled, Fire Destroys Cook's Corners Haunted House. And now there was this was writ written in 2019 and updated in 2020. Firefighters were called to the scene at 10.42 p.m., after a neighbor reported the house was on fire, Bangor Fire Chief Larry Lavalley said, Flames were showing from the wooden building when fire crews arrived, and Lavalley said he confined firefighting efforts to the exterior of the house because of concerns about sending anyone into the badly deteriorated building. The building had been vacant for many years, Lavalley noted, and the cause of the blaze, which appeared to have started in the basement, remains under investigation by the Franklin County cause 
and origin team, he said. The house had reportedly been the frequent subject of dares to enter it, according to the website visitmalone.com. Layers of graffiti on the outside indicated the house had been visited many times, the website said. The house has been the scene of fires six times in the past, Lavallee noted. There won't be an eighth, he said. Despite the house's reputation, Lavallee said the firefighting effort was largely routine. Crews did have to draw water from a nearby stream as there are no hydrants in the area, but there was nothing out of the ordinary about the effort, he said. No injuries were reported. Crews from Bangor, Brushton, Moira, and Fort Covington battled the blaze, while Malone firefighters provided standby backup. The origin of the house's haunted reputation is unknown, and there are various stories about what the source of the legend might be, according to multiple websites. Among the stories are reports that the house was once occupied by a satanic priest who sacrificed young women there. Another said the spirit might have been that of a man who raped and murdered his daughter, then hanged himself in the barn on the property. Still, another claims the spirits were those of the victims of an earlier fire at the site. The house drew international attention and 2013 when a cell phone video was posted to the internet that supposedly showed a ghostly figure in the doorway that vanished into thin air. So I actually was able to find that footage uh, through YouTube and it's through Haunted New York's uh, actual uh, profile and Brad Roussel, which is B-R-A-D, last name R-O-U-S-E-L-L. You can um, check out, it's actually the debut episode of Haunted New York and it's season one, episode one, which is all about Cook's Corners. So they go over a lot, but I'm going to play a quick audio clip about... um, uh the actual footage so you can hear how surprised these people were and then i'm gonna post the full uh haunted new york video and it is at minute right about minute eight you can uh, fast forward it to minute eight to see this video i'll also take a video and uh try to post that i'm not sure if it'll be good enough quality but yeah i think it's definitely worth listening to or and definitely worth seeing um and then also just a few things related to this house because i'm going to post a photo of it also there are a few people that have made comments and one of them has said I've been here about five times but all at night I had an experience only one time I went it was during the winter and there was about five of us there and we kept hearing really strange noises and then I saw thought I saw something and I made a comment stating that when suddenly I felt someone push me and I was standing all alone right in the opening of the pantry and I actually like almost fell over and then suddenly I was crying and freaking out which is very unlike me and it was freezing outside. It was January and you know how cold it can get up there and I had been freezing all along but suddenly it felt like I was on fire and my friends decided we better leave. One of them actually touched my skin and said that it felt like I had a really high fever. I felt fine when I got home and I wasn't sick and didn't have a fever. It was the first thing that I checked. So we left the building but didn't f- but the feeling didn't leave me until we got back into town and I haven't been sick back since. This was in around 2010 so I think there's something there but I doubt it's about any of the stories that we've heard about. So I'm going to go ahead and play the short audio clip now of these people that supposedly caught footage of a full apparition in the front doorway and their reaction to it on their cell phone. Um, And it's definitely blurry uh, enough, but I do see something. So I'm curious what you guys think. I will absolutely post it. Oh. 
what is that? That we cannot. That is. Look at the doorway. The, look at the doorway. It's overlapping okay, the door. documents from like the early 1990s about uh, religious affiliations with the church and how the guy, some guy who lived there or something um, wasn't really religious anymore and they were worried about him or something along the lines of that. There were like letters that were sent to him? Uh, they, were they were letters from the church, but they were pr like printed out of a printer. They weren't actually handwritten. So welcome back. Again, I will post this on our social media. They show footage of the interior of the house, footage of the barn on the property, and um, it's pretty interesting. Also to note, that is really interesting, in the comment section on this, the supposed caretaker of the property has commented saying that um, this person has making all of this up. The owners are real, they're alive, um, stay off the property, they'll be arrested, and they're submitting this as police, uh, police evidence of trespassing. So it's interesting that the person had such a uh, heated reaction to Haunted New York doing an episode on it. So that's really interesting. So yeah, look forward to seeing those, those images and those videos. It's fun. So next, I wanted to tell some personal stories, some firsthand accounts from Malone before we move on. Um, so this first one submitted by Shaylin. I was just drinking down here and we stopped at the lights. Then I started to feel sick to my stomach. I thought that was weird because my dad, mom, and brother started to feel sick too. That was when I saw it. The big, tall, dark figure walking from a creepy house. I screamed at the sight and the thing seemed to have looked right at me. I threw up all over the car. I thought it was my imagination, but it wasn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, the next one is submitted by Tanya. My brother-in-law was murdered in the Indian Trails apartment building. His murderer then committed suicide in my his murderer then committed suicide in my brother-in-law's apartment. This happened in 1990. And then a comment by someone on that actually said, I lived right in the same building group when this happened and I recall a knock on the door that morning. Looking out from the master bedroom window and police motioning for us to get away from the window was pretty scary. I've known people who get, who have lived in that apartment and they have said weird stuff goes on. Um, and then another person said, absolutely, remember that all too well. Know all parties and the guy who jumped out the window onto the roof. So... That's interesting, the history. I don't know the Indian Trails apartments personally, but I'm sure people in Malone actually do. So this next one is submitted by Chantel. I grew up in Malone all my life. I lived in a house on Duane Street in Malone a few years back. I lived in the middle room at the very top of the stairs. I had this trunk in my room and every night or evening during the day we would hear something moving across the floor in my room. It was definitely my trunk. A few nights later I was watching my two brothers and my cousins and I was in the kitchen making dinner and my brother and my cousin came into the kitchen and got a drink. On their way back into the living room they froze and the color in their faces disappeared. They didn't say anything, they just stood there frozen. When I went to see what was going on, there was a dark shadowy figure at the foot of the steps. A few minutes later, the dark figure disappeared. 
Then we were sitting in the living room watching television and dragging noises and very faint voices were heard upstairs. They were coming from my room. My mother told me that every night she would come out of her room and as she was heading down the steps, she would look in on me. Then she would see an old man sitting on my bed next to me and just stare at me the whole time. I would even see the strange bluish or whitish orbs around in my room also. My cousin and I were also hanging out in my room when my trunk started to slide across my floor towards us one day. My trunk wasn't very light because it had over a hundred things in it. To this day, I don't know who the man that sat on my bed was, but I don't think the dark mass or the figure was him. And uh, just to add on to that, someone commented, Tilly, someone named Tilly said, I'm living in a house right off that same street. I just moved here a week ago and I'm feeling some strange things. Saw something in the kitchen in the middle of the night. Um, Very, very uh, creepy. And then another person, uh, Leanne, added, If this is the house that is across from College Avenue, the man you are seeing would be my grandfather, Lawrence Ricor. I had never gotten the chance to meet him, but I remember going there a few times when a friend lived there and I saw this same man. I later told my mother about it and described what he looked like. She then told me that my grandparents had lived there for several years and that the man I saw was indeed my grandfather. That's crazy. That's actually kind of beautiful to be able to see someone, a family member that you've never met. The next one is submitted by Paul. I'm from Los Angeles. I lived with my stepmom who lives on Hillsdale Terrace. There was so much I encountered in this house, so I'll go on what comes up first. I pointed a flashlight at a mirror and reflected it from the mirror to the ceiling and there was a portrait from chest up to head, an older looking man with a tie and a jacket with a beard. No matter which way I moved the light on the mirror to the left or the right or even half of the mirror, he was there. There I also had a dream, within a dream, waking up from the first nightmare. I thought I was awake and then something I could not see dragged me to the basement in pitch black and whispered my name. I could not tell if it was a male or female because of the low demonic voice that it produced. Then I woke up and was feeling sort of okay and I thought, what the hell, I'm probably still in a dream. Today my stepmom told my sister that there were four people that she knew of that died there. The next one is uh, by someone who's anonymous. I was at a party with my family at night and we were taking pictures of the fire. Suddenly my aunt took a picture and examined it closely and we saw two faces of people in the fire. I do not know the exact location of where I was because I'm from Maine and not actually from Malone. The next one is submitted by uh, Paul. My friends and I went to this abandoned house on the Cook's Corners Road in North Bangar. It's a white house. The story goes that there was a family of three, a dad, a mom, and a daughter. The little girl was outside playing in the driveway with a ball, and the ball went out into the road, and she's the little girl going after the ball and a tractor trailer was going down the road and it hit her the father went outside to get his daughter and the little girl was dead and the father was so emotionally distressed he went in the house and killed his wife and hanged her in the upstairs bedroom closet and then hanged himself in the basement there's a note from the little girl to her mom if you go in the closet where she was hanged the weird thing is the little girl was dead so when the note was written and the closet door is shut They say if you look in the window in the upstairs window above the porch roof, you will see him dragging his wife in the closet, and you will see the little girl in a light blue dress in the small window just to the left. 
My friends and I went to that house and we heard an older female scream, an older man crying, and also said, get out now. We heard the little girl giggle to us and say, do you want to play? We all got the hell out of there and I will never go in that house or past it again. <laughs> and then someone named Becca added on, I used to literally live around the corner from the house. I rode my bike past it one day and was pushed off my bike and into the road. There was a truck coming. I'm lucky I got up and out of the truck's way in time. And another person named Danielle said, Becca, um, did we ride the same school bus? I was in that house 17 years ago. Um, so she supposedly actually lived in that house and was trying to check if uh, Becca actually knew her. And then the next one is submitted by someone named, um, let's see, someone named, oh, actually this one is anonymous. About three to four years back, my family and I lived in an apartment complex in Malone, New York, known as Indian Trails. One night in late June, my sister and I were in our beds, and it was about 3.10 in the morning. We were laying there awake because we couldn't sleep. That was when we started to hear things. We heard small children laughing and playing below our bedroom window, which was on the second floor, by the way. Our beds were up by the window, so we sat up and looked down, and there was nothing there. We laid back down and tried to go to sleep, and when we heard the same thing five or six minutes later... This time, my sister looked out the window and she claimed to see a little girl with very pale skin wearing a baby blue formal 1920s dress with blood on it. The girl had long blonde hair that was tied up with a bow in the back. We never told our parents since they'd think we were insane. A few nights later, we heard footsteps that sounded like maybe a gold or black lab running up the stairs of the apartment. We later figured out uh, somehow that her name was Lucy. It's like somehow she told us her whole story when we were asleep. Apparently, she, she used to live on a farm and she was killed by one of the workers. We were guessing the dog was hers too, and it was pretty freaky, but since I was 12 and I was always interested in the paranormal, we no longer live there. We moved, but it wasn't because of what only my sister and I were seeing and hearing. To this day, our parents still don't know. <laughs> um... This is the next one is submitted by someone named Kathalina. I was born and raised here and have been here been everywhere in Franklin County and believe me I know all the hot spots. I am what you call a medium so I can walk by a house or a building and know if there's activity there. There's a school called Flanders and it is very very true about it being very haunted. I have seen the Indian girl and everyone keeps talking about. I always bring my two sons Owens and uh, ages one and Garrett ages eight both there to play and one day we were taking our shoes off to see if which one could fling their shoe further as she was playing with them the indian girl was doing the same thing as the boys were and i did smile and she turned her head and smiled back at me and then continued to play with the boys she is harmless and just likes to play thanks for your time listening kathalina bovia from malone new york um uh, that is fascinating to know that there are mediums uh, walking out there experiencing those things. And then lastly, we have a story by Caitlin personal story. I was at my grandparents' house in Malone and my cousin Adam was telling me scary stories to try to scare me and my other cousin Macy as well. In the middle of telling the story, we heard a knock at the door and it was around 10 p.m. while everyone was sleeping. My cousin being 15 and the oldest went to look out there and when he did, he saw a black figure floating into a forest by a little pond that we used to catch frogs in um, during the afternoons. After that, we went to bed and the same thing happened the next night. Plus, it wasn't a teen nature because my grandparents lived in the woods with no neighbors near um, and we don't live there either so it's only adults 
So that's uh, again submitted by Caitlin. So that's fascinating. And lastly, to wrap up Malone, I just wanted to share with you guys, there is actually a Facebook group and it's called I'm from Malone, New York, and I remember when dot dot dot. Um, and this person actually opened up a thread um, in 2019. And she asked, are there any haunted houses, buildings, or abandoned haunted little stores here in Malone? If so, does anyone have any stories or pictures? So I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. Um, there was one comment that I thought was really interesting. A gentleman commented saying, on Constable Street Road, when you go back up the hill on the right side next to Old Cellars stands a white house built by my grandfather, Robido. There was a lot of unexplained um, stuff going on. So this group is also really cool because it talks about um, fires next to the Marion's restaurant and there's a, uh, images from that fire and uh, yeah, just some really cool, cool, funky things having to do kind of like off the beaten track things. So definitely a fun uh, group that someone started. Again, it's I'm from Malone, New York, and I remember when dot dot dot. So I thought that was really cool. I'll post a link to that on our social media. So next we're going to move basically west, a little bit northwest. We're going to head over to Fort Covington, not far from uh, Malone. I think it's maybe like 20 minutes drive. And there's a few places uh, in Fort Covington that I wanted to talk about. I believe two buildings in um in particular so yes fort covington is a hamlet only 20 minutes north of malone right at the canadian border and despite it being a small town with a long long-standing reputation for the fineness of its farms the area has a few haunted sites the town began as a blockhouse to shelter wounded soldiers during the war of 1812 and it is named for general leonard Co Covington, who was mortally wounded at the Battle of Chrysler's Farm and died on a boat on his way to the then-named French Mills in 1813. And this is an appropriate beginning for a haunted area. <laughs> Sounds about right. Hauntings seem most common in areas of abundant water sources, and Fort Covington is also distinguished in that respect. The Salmon River flows through its north and east sections, and the east branch of Deer River crosses close to the edge of town. The Little Salmon is close by, and Pike Creek is also located to the west. Cushman Brook winds through three miles of the town as well. So the first building is called Nye Manor, N-Y-E, Nye Manor. It's originally known as Parkhurst House, and it dates from 1827 when it was built as a home for Army Major Jabest Parkhurst. He was a man of considerable accomplishments. He had been admitted to the State Bar Association at the age of 29, taught at Malone's Harrison Academy, and then started his own practice in Fort Covington, which was then French Mills, in 1815. There he started another career, that of the abolitionist and committed member of the local Underground Railroad. He died of natural causes on October 31st, 1865. The house passed through several hands and was gutted by fire in 1993, and the saga almost ended. Almost. A <laughs> descendant saved it from scheduled demolition, rebuilt it, and made it again a beautiful living structure. They kept the original proportions of the house, the Georgian-era moldings, and the original glass gone wavy with age. While updated, the original stonework is still part of the house. The haunted part seems to have sprung from the fact that many people have died in the house. Jabba's first wife, Fidelia, suffered from what the local paper, the Malone Palladium, called symptoms of mental derangement. 
She committed suicide in the front upstairs bedroom in 1849. Jabez's daughter, Caroline, also killed herself on August 25th, 1857. The following the death of her husband, this following the death of her husband and the year after the death of her only child. There are also several reported deaths of children within the house, but this was sadly common at the time, which had little in the way of public health procedures and a marked lack of vaccination. During the intensive renovations, there were instances of paranormal activity. A pair of brand new flashlights went dead at exactly the same time while workers were exploring what had been the library. There was so much neglect and accumulated debris in the basement that the new homeowner left to buy a saw. When he returned, the hatch to the basement had appeared, propped open by a stick. When working late in the empty house, the new owner heard a female voice saying hello. His wife mentions feeling suddenly saddened when entering certain parts of the building. Both have heard footsteps when no one is walking and doors closing without human agency. While the house was boarded up and has no utilities, neighbors were puzzled when they saw lights on the upper floor. So moving on to the next place, which was Dunwich Manor, D-U-N-W-I-C-H, Dunwich Manor. Somewhere in town, there is a building once owned by the occult writer Jarena Dunwich. Described as both a home and gift shop at various times, it is the sp- source of many spooky stories. At one time, the upstairs housed a four-room shop selling antiques and unusual collectibles, gift items like candles and oils, and some occult items such as spell books and tarot cards. When a person would stay late at night, there would be instances of lights turning themselves on and off and doors opening themselves. Objects moved on their own and a radio station changed itself also. One room stayed chilly, no matter what the thermostat was set at. Some people felt watched while there, especially one female customer who tried to shop but wound up fleeing hastily. At the turn of the last century, one of the attic rooms was supposed to have housed a disturbed woman who was locked away and died there, leaving bloodied handprints behind. These appeared periodically, needing several coats of paint to cover them. This has led to seances being held there and attempts to let the spirit find her final rest. The upstairs bedrooms contain a ghostly presence, while the cellar has glowing lights moving through it. There is a carriage house which is even older than the main building which, with moans coming from the second floor. Oh, that's terrifying. Possible involvement with the Underground Railroad, known to operate in the area, led to rumors of tunnels leading to Canada that began in the carriage house. While the border is so close, it would still be a very long tunnel. So that is really fascinating. That is, again, Nye Manor and Dunwich Manor, uh, both in Fort Covington. And now we're going to head over a little bit farther west and uh, we're going to head over to Cornwall. And I think maybe from Fort Covington to Cornwall would probably again be about 10 to 15 15 maybe 20 minute drive. Um, Specifically in Cornwall I just wanted to mention the Cornwall Jail. The Cornwall Jail which was in operation until 2002 runs the gamut out of haunted claims. People claim to have seen full body apparitions usually of a woman and child, hear male voices and one that hums. People also say they often hear operational sounds of the jail such as carts going up the hallways or other sounds of a functioning jail. There are electrical anomalies and objects that move. 
doors opening and closing on their own, and the prevalent sense of unease that many experience while there. There are claims that during the time of the jail's operation, more than 200 prisoners who died or were executed at the jail were buried in the courtyard, and many believe that these account for much of the ghostly activity. So from there, we're actually going to move on to Messina, which again is just about a short 20-minute drive um, from Cornwall. So Cornwall, uh, or I'm sorry, so in Messina, there are two locations, the first being the Pine Grove Cemetery, and that is on Cook Street Road in Messina. Many of the plots in Pine Grove Number 2 were relocated from Barnhart Island during construction of the seaway in 1955. One section in particular belonging to the Barnhart family is sectioned off and wrapped in an iron fence. A source of local legends, among them accounts of unexplained claw marks on the inside of caskets. Visitors from ghost hunters to children all have felt presences. And then the next one is Spanky's Restaurant. And I've read about this before, and I think I might have even mentioned it on a very early episode of Haunted 518, but I uh, I just want to go dine there so bad. Um, so that's on 3 North Main Street in Messina. So it's known as one of the most haunted places in the country. An old rail car was converted into a small diner in 1956. Over the years, the restaurants changed hands until the father of present-day owner Valeris J. Valley purchased it. Her dad, also known as Spanky, had various unexplained experiences in the restaurant. Lights and equipment turning on and off, presences felt, and faces and voices seen and heard. One woman reportedly had her shoelaces tied together while dining. Haunted basement open for ghost hunts and tours by appointment. So I'll definitely be posting as many pictures as I can of all these different places that we're talking about. So then moving on from Messina, a short 40 minute drive again, I believe it's more like Southwest at this point, is Ogdensburg. And in Ogdensburg, there is um, three places. There are three places that I found. So the first one is the Mater D College, and that's the Academy at Ivy Ridge. And that's located at 5631 New York 37 in Ogdensburg, New York. As a former school for troubled teens, witnesses have felt being watched by the presence of a ghost boy and a phantom nun at the former Mater D College, later the Academy at Ivy Ridge. With a turbulent history that included riots, accusations of assault, and other troubles, the school closed in 2009 after being open seven short years. That is crazy. Riots, accusations of assault in the 2000s at this Mater D College, which for me makes me think, do you learn to go be a maitre d' there? Because <laughs> that's literally what it uh, is uh, labeled, or the Academy at Ivy Ridge. Um, but that is really fascinating that it was only open seven short years. That's also a very like remote spot, I feel like, to train or go to school. So in- very interesting. I wonder what the riots included. Um, I'll do some research on that, and if I find anything interesting, I'll do a little uh, bonus episode for that. So the next one is the Ogdensburg Public Library, and that's located at 312 Washington Street. Librarians at the Ogdensburg Public Library have reported seeing apparitions in the building and have had unusual experiences. Originally a residential mansion, it was remodeled between 1921 and 1922 after a devastating fire. According to the librarians, the ghosts are more friendly than fright, and it's open to the general public during regular business hours. 
And then lastly, in Ogdensburg, you have the Frederick Remington Art Museum, and that's at 303 Washington Street. The Frederick Remington Art Museum is known not only for its art collection, but also the ghost of Elena Vespucci, the mistress of Daniel Parrish. The museum is the site of the former home of Parrish and Vespucci. They moved back to Europe and spent their final days separately across the ocean, but many believe Vespucci's spirit traveled back to her old home, where she once spent the best and happiest years of her life. Vespucci's voices, along with the ghost of Remington and others, have been reported by visitors. And that's open during regular business hours also. Um, So that's interesting. Uh, That was everything in Ogdensburg. And then the next place we're going to move on to is Canton, which is about a 20-minute drive south, kind of south, kind of headed back towards a little bit, maybe southeast just a little bit, but uh, just another 20-minute short drive from Ogdensburg. And that is, uh, the first one we're going to talk about is The Hub, and that's on 1 Lincoln Street in Canton. So The Hub is an old cottage on the St. Lawrence University campus, and it is said to be the residence of the ghost of Florence Lee Whitman, the daughter of former president of the college, John Stubbins Lee. Famous paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren claim to have witnessed a ghost in the butler's pantry in the 1970s. And unfortunately, it's a private residence, and it's not open for visits anymore. Um, The next one in Canton is the Herring Cole Hall, um, H-E-R-R-I-N-G hyphen C-O-L-E, Herring Cole Hall, and that's on University Ave. If you ask the students who spent any time here, the T-shaped Herring Cole Hall at St. Lawrence University, which is on the National Registry for Historic Buildings, is a hotbed of supernatural activities. Countless sightings have been observed over the years by many students. Rumors has it that the haunts make it a great spot for seances and meditations, but it could partially be the acoustics to the building as well, and it's only open by appointment or reservation. So if you're in the Canton area, definitely worth checking out. So now we're going to move on to Potsdam. And um, Potsdam, I'm sure I could have done an episode unto itself. But because it's outside of the 518, I figured we would bunch it in here and kind of include it because it's right on the route because now Potsdam's only about uh, 20 minutes from Canton, again, kind of heading back up north towards back towards Malone. So kind of like northeast. Um, so we did this little loop, uh, not terribly far, these little places from one to the other. Like I said, you could do this all in a day easily this little road trip and see all of these creepy places and um, even end up staying in Potsdam which would be fun Um, so we're gonna head on to the haunting of the Holcroft house h-o-l-c-r-o-f-t So blinking lights, whispering voices, the sounds of footsteps all have been attributed to the ghost of Holcroft House, where most of the alleged sightings and strange happenings have occurred on the third floor. And this is at uh, Clarkson University in Potsdam. Interestingly, there was no third floor when Holcroft was built in 1821. The floor was added sometime after 1853, and the house changed hands many times until the late 1920s, after which it remained empty until it was opened as a men's dorm in 1939. The first record of a ghost sighting dates back to the 1970s when a Holcroft was a woman's dormitory. Those who saw the ghost described her as a woman in her late 20s or 30s, dressed in long, dark skirt, 
and a blousey blouse with leg o mutton sleeves tight at the forearm then expanding and gathering at the elbows when holcroft was transformed to offices in the late 1970s the strange happenings persisted although not as often more recently a team of students researching studying the possible links between reported hauntings and the indoor air quality visited holcroft to take air samples the team was looking for clues as to what may lead to some of these phenomena to date no ghosts have been busted. So next, I wanted to move on to a little bit of fascinating local lore in the Potsdam area. I found this from an article uh, from 92.9, the radio station, and um, the title of the article says, The Nightmare on Elm Street House was likely inspired by this one in Potsdam, New York. So if you love horror movies, then the movie Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the all-time classics. So was this a movie inspired by a frat house in Potsdam, New York? Question mark? <laughs> Legend has it that the film and its title was inspired by a student film director, Wes Craven, made at a former fraternity house on Elm Street in Potsdam. Craven taught at Clarkson University for several years in the 1960s. However, Craven himself denies the connection. You have to admit, though, for conspiracies, it does seem pretty plausible though. So North Country Radio asked Wes Craven about the connection. Their questions were, I heard a rumor that the idea for Nightmare on Elm Street might have come from a student movie involving Elm Street in my hometown of Potsdam, New York. Is that true? Wes Craven, no, I'm afraid not. You know, when I was teaching, I bought a camera and we a, shot a film up there called The Searchers. I'm pretty sure we called it. It was a bunch of students and they noticed that I had a camera and I didn't know what I was doing, though I was just fooling around. They asked me to help them start a film club, which we did, and then we made a 45 minute long little action picture. Very crude. We didn't know what we were really doing, really. We showed it at the school and all the surrounding schools. We made our budget back by about four or five times over, and that was when I got the bug for making movies. At the end of that year, I quit my job and went down to New York and started getting into the film business. So unfortunately, since then, the home has been torn down, and the so-called home was in disrepair and it had been condemned. Um, but the Potsdam Public Museum has photos of the home, so I will absolutely post these. They are... Uh, it's creepy, but beautiful at the same time. When it was at the height of its uh, peak of its fraternity era, it looks like it was painted bright white with bright red trim, which is super interesting all the around all the windows. Um, so that's really interesting. So I will absolutely post the, post these pictures. So then moving on in Potsdam, we have the Brambles Inn and Gardens. Another historic location dating back to the mid-1800s, Brambles Inn is a beautifully charming place to stay when you're up north, but it could also be one of New York's many haunted destinations. Reportedly, guests have claims to have dealt with an angry female sp spirit that bangs on doors and groans during the night. This is one wake-up call we have no interest in dealing with, and that's at 48 Elm Street in Potsdam. And again, that's the Brambles Inn and Gardens. So then the next thing I wanted to mention was um, on the show The Dead Files, I did come across an episode where they investigated in Potsdam, New York. So it was season three, episode 11. It's called Master of the Damned. And it says, while investigating a family home in Potsdam, New York, Steve discovers evidence of a bar fight so brutal that it left a man dead in the street, while Amy faces off against a dominant entity that commands other dead people to terrorize the living. So again, that's the dead fight. 
Files, and I believe that's on the Travel Channel that you can find that. You can watch full episodes on thetravelchannel.com, and it's season three, episode 11, so I'll definitely be checking that out. I'll post a link to it. So then next I wanted to just mention just a few last little things in um, Potsdam to kind of kind of wrap up the the seven stop haunted roundabout uh trail that we we just went on so the first thing is this was from an article in 2014 and it says apparently there's something called fright night in potsdam and it says potsdam fright night to include haunted tour and houses performances free treats activities and throughout the town um so in potsdam a haunted tour and house multiple performances and free treats are expected to draw hundreds of costume children to the annual fright night and fright night in downtown's potsdam so i'm not sure with the pandemic if that's still going on or if it was put on hold but i just wanted to mention it because it looks like as of 2004 14 over 30 businesses were participating um according to the executive director at the Potsdam Chamber of Commerce. And usually they see as many as a thousand people attend from around the county, uh, weather depending every year. And there was like a street dance performance and um, a haunting performance with horse feathers haunts uh, took place on a blocked off portion of Market Street. We will bring characters, actors, and parts of the set as we introduce ourselves to the public, said the owner of Horse Feather Haunts. Horse Feather Haunts describes themselves as a place where you will be transported to a place in time where nonsense nonsense is celebrated and alternate history is creating, created according to their website. The company is based off of a subgenre of science fiction called steampunk, which is typically set in a Victorian setting and features big gowns and corsets intertwined with cyborg, evil genius, and machines. To go along with the performance, Horsefeather Haunts partnered with Fire and Hoop Dancers from Fire Magic, which is based out of Watertown. It's pretty impressive what they do. It's it's actually mesmerizing, the owner said. They also had treats and handouts. And um, other returning favorites included the Potsdam Rotary Club Pumpkin Walk in Ives Park and a Kitchen Nightmare-themed haunted house at Great Northern Printing, and a Phantoms of Potsdam ghost tour. The Phantoms of Potsdam ghost tour was led by Ryan Meshaw of Rise Above Paranormal. Um, So it looks like that tour uh, started at the steps of the Potsdam Public Library and proceeded onto Elm Street and Ives Park and explored supposed haunted areas. Ghost stories and experiences were shared. Um, so yeah, lots of things going on. So Fright Night, keep an eye out for that. If you're up in that area, or if you will be up in that area, uh, check out and see if Fright Night is still happening in that area. And then, um, another one that I wanted to mention from this year, actually, I saw that something called Rocktoberfest got rescheduled and that this is an article from October 15th of this year, 2021. So, um, it says that it was rescheduled Haunted Houses Highway to Horror planned in Messina this month. A downtown Rocktoberfest, Haunted Houses, and a Highway to Horror are all planned Halloween's event in a- events in Messina this October in 2021. The Rocktoberfest has been postponed. Um, now we're past it, so hopefully this didn't get postponed again um but it's the first time it was hosted in downtown messina with trick-or-treating for children dressed in costumes face painting pumpkins for carving and painting uh and bounce bounce houses um 
music by Motley315 and a beer garden hosted by Maple Brewing. And then um, Messina Sheen, S-C-H-I-N-E, Messina Sheen Haunted House uh, was open at the old Sheen Theater in downtown Messina. So um, hopefully that was uh, was a was successful the cost was five dollars per person and money raised was supposed to go to the restorations of the theater's marquee which is really great and then temple's halloween haunt uh was supposedly offered for again for the eighth year in a row um opening night uh saturday on october 16th of this year um and that that took place at the Messina Chamber of Commerce, which is 16 Church Street. Uh, and the evening supposedly started with a kid-friendly hour from 6 to 7, followed by a full-on scare time from 7 to 10 p.m. And again, only $5 to get in, which is great. And Highway to Horror uh, was supposedly held at the St. Lawrence Center in the Old Bonton, and that is $15. And um, yeah, it looks like that's a haunted house as well. So again, just things to keep on your radar if you're up in that area or if you went and you had a good time or have a story uh definitely give us a, sh a shout out on social media send us an email we would uh we would love to see that so um another haunted house i just wanted to let everyone know about that was uh the APPS annual haunted house house of a thousand monsters and that's located on 1591 New York 11B uh and that's in Potsdam corner of McIntyre Road and 11B it says um so it looks like the uh Adirondack Park Paranormal Society presented its annual haunted house for 2021 this year's theme was a house of a thousand monsters and packed with Inside will be packed with monsters and scares from classic Halloween and horror movies from the silver screen. Are you brave enough to visit us and support a worthy cause? Proceeds are donated to the Potsdam Snack Pack program, and there will be also several items to be raffled off with the drawings happening on Halloween. So hopefully that was successful, and I just wanted to keep that on all of our radar because I had never uh, heard of that. So the Adirondack Park Paranormal Society, APPS, um, put on this haunted attraction, which is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I, I would love to hear if anybody went to that also. So, um, then lastly, to round it all up, I just wanted to tell you guys about one last thing uh, that's supposedly haunted at, in Potsdam, and that is the Potsdam. Potsdam's Haunted Infirmary and um, oh I'm sorry it's actually a haunted house so they can be found on Facebook at Potsdam Haunted Infirmary and um, it looks like they have some really great pictures it looks like the actors and actresses did a really great job it was two nights October 29th and 30th and it was a $15 entry so um looks super fun and just another really cool place to go to to get into the spooky mood during a sp spooky season so I'll definitely post a link to their their uh, Facebook as well and all the proceeds benefited the Clarkson Physician Assistance Program annual mission trip to Nicaragua so that's interesting um, kind of cool when the proceeds go to something um, other than just like uh, business they go to help something so that's awesome 
So we started in Malone. We headed over to Fort Covington. We went over to Cornwall from there, went down a little to Messina, a little bit farther to Ogdensburg, then over to Canton, back up and around to Potsdam, and then you can pretty much head from Potsdam right back to Malone. And I think from Potsdam to Malone, you're looking at like a 40 minute drive. Um, but I just wanted to, let me see. Potsdam to Malone. Um, I just wanted to include all of these locations because they all had something, at least a little something. And yep, it's 41 minutes from Potsdam to Malone. So we really went on a pretty tight little, little uh, road trip bordering the St. Lawrence Seaway and hitting seven places, uh, one of which is right in the 518 and is a pretty big uh, town in the 518 being Malone. And yeah, kind of exploring that whole upper corner of New York, the topmost left corner of New York bordering with, with Canada. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. There was a lot happening uh, in all those places. So I definitely want to put this on my to-do list of a little haunted road trip to go on. And um, yeah, we'd love to hear from anybody in that in these areas. If you're from there, if you've been there. So again, you can find us on Instagram at haunted the haunted five one eight. Find us on Facebook at haunted five one eight, or um, email us at the haunted five one eight at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories. So yeah, get in touch with us. I love telling your personal stories. That's one of my favorite parts of the of the podcast. So, so yeah, as always, I just wanted to cite the many sources, especially for this episode that I got my information from. The first being the Malone Telegram and then ghostsofamerica.com. Uh, Facebook with the Facebook group, I'm from Malone, New York, and I remember when dot dot dot. Uh, visitmalone.com. That was really super helpful. Hauntedplaces.org. Uh, visit St. Lawrence County.com and 92.9, excuse me, 92.9, the, um, the radio station, um, again, hauntedplaces.org, onlyinyourstate.com, travelchannel.com, northcountrynow.com, thescarefactor.com, mosthauntedplaces.info and then lastly the Potsdam Haunted Infirmary on Facebook. On that note I hope you guys have a great week and cheers and happy haunting!